me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. We are live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the SM. At whoa, I cannot speak. Welcome to the SNM2 live launch show. My name is Brandon. I host Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. Every month, I do a live stream on Facebook and YouTube. But tonight is my biggest live stream yet. I am teaming up with MetalTalk.net to present and stream this event to celebrate the release of SNM2, which of course came out today. And I am joined by a very special guest, principal basis of the San Francisco Symphony, Scott. Pingle, um, Doug Riot, the principal harpist, may be joining us. He's having some technical difficulties, so if he's able to join us late, then great. Uh, but we are here with Scott Pingle, um, who you might recognize uh, from your liner notes and James Heffield's introduction on the album that came out today, as uh, he had a shining moment during SM2, which we will definitely, definitely get into. Scott, how are you? Good, man. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. It is a pleasure having you. Uh, you've been sort of, uh, you become a, a, a cult sensation among us diehard Metallica fans. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife. No, just kidding. <laughs> Richard, I see you in the chat. Good morning from Australia. He's saying um, it is nighttime here. You are in the future. I I do want to brag for a moment. I am, am wearing my original SNM t-shirt. Nice. And um, I bought this it, when I was in, must have been eighth grade in 1999 when it first came out. I have no clue how it still fits me, but I, I am not going to complain. So I got that going for me at least. Awesome. <laughs> I've got my SNM 2 shirt. And I saw this on the, on their website, and I had to nab it because it's got the Grim Reaper and a bass and an electric chair. I mean, what more could you want? Oh, I love shirt. it. It says Metallica, it. and it has a skeleton and a bass. <laughs> well, you know, I saw that on the website, and I and I, I posted it on Instagram a picture of this T-shirt. I've had it for a while. I just hadn't unveiled it, I guess yet. And then I've gotten so many people texting me like, "Where did you get that shirt? I can't find it anywhere, and I don't think it's available anymore." So I'm glad I oh. nabbed it. For sure. Uh, bring some attention to some people in the chat here. Scott says, good evening. Was at both shows and was unbelievable. One of the best parts of the show. Freaking killed it, man. Oh, Caleb from No Life to Metallica podcast is here. There's a lot of us podcasts here. I see Metalla hat there from Twitter. Um, Jordan says, literally just got done watching the Blu-ray and cried during anesthesia. That was a very emotional moment. We'll oh, definitely get into all of that. Um, so yeah, I'll be interacting with everybody in the chat as we go through this. I'll be asking questions of my own and going to you guys for questions. So please throw them out there. If I miss one in the chat, please just you know re-enter it again or whatever, and hopefully it'll catch my attention eventually. Um, I just start off, Scott. You know, I just sort of want before we get into all the Metallica S and M two talk. I'm very curious how you kind of got to where you are now. When did your musical journey begin? When did you first uh, kind of discover a love for music and the bass and what was your path like? Um, well, you know, my family was 
pretty musical. I mean, my parents were, were both music teachers. My grandfather was a musician. My grandfather had his own big band, like back in the twenties and thirties, the Jack Pingle jazz orchestra. And, um, they, uh, so music was always around my house to one degree or another. And, uh, so, uh, I started playing cello a little bit when I was a little kid, I was like five or six years old, but I really hated practicing and my parents, they, <laughs> you know, they wanted me to do it. And, and, I, and my mom loves to tell this story, how, uh, I complained and, and, uh, and said because they had told me it'll be so much fun you'll love it and i said you lied to me you said this would be fun i hate this you know i never want to do music you know i'd complain because really i just wanted to you know run around and play you know on the big wheels in the street you know out in the in right. front of my house i didn't want to practice and um so in fact i would do clever things my mom would say okay you have to practice the next 30 minutes and i'm going to be downstairs doing laundry and i'm going to be listening through the vent and so i i cleverly once did a really great practice session, recorded myself for 30 minutes. And then I had that recording. And then the next day, my mom was downstairs and she's like, I'll be listening through the vent. And I said, okay. And I get my boom box out and I put my tape in there and I press play and I put it up against the heating vent and I went and watched TV. And my brother was like, dude, like you're gonna get in huge trouble. But I was willing to take the risk. That <laughs> so was always kind of a mischievous kid, I guess. Um, but anyway, I uh, so I kind of did cello, you know, for a bit. I, and actually, I secretly really loved it. I just didn't want to be disciplined. Um, and uh, and then I started playing piano at one point when I started kind of fading out of that. My parents they were okay with it. And then I started playing trumpet. Um, and then it was my freshman year in high school when a buddy of mine had an, this electric bass, and I picked it up and I started kind of playing around on it. I was like 14, 15 years old. And I was like, man, this thing is super cool. I, I would love to to learn this thing one day. And I and I used to play cello so I can read bass clef and whatnot. And so yeah. then uh, down the street, these guys were starting a garage band when I was 15. And they're like, we need a bass player. And I was like, all right, man, cool. All right, I, I'll figure it out. And uh, so I got my first electric bass when I was 15. And, and uh, we I, I was doing Metallica covers and oh, with really? no singer, by the way, which is really funny. We had no singer. <laughs> Nobody wanted to sing, so we just played all instrumentals it, 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 with no lyrics. It was just it was, it was jammed. It was just fun, and um, but it was my brother, that same brother, uh, Greg, who um, uh, uh, turned me on to Cliff. Actually, he was a big Metallica fan, and then uh, he played me the Anesthesia the first time. He's like, "Dude, you got to check out this solo. This is so awesome!" And I remember when I heard it, I was just so blown away at the just raw energy and the um just the creative things he was doing with the effects i mean at the time i mean i was just yeah. a little kid i didn't really know why i liked it completely i just knew i liked it sure. but i look back on it now and i can kind of you know pick it apart and the things i really loved about it and so i little did i know back then where you know where i am now <laughs> you know i was like having this relationship with that solo that i heard <laughs> when i was like 15 years old wow and so, I mean, if you look in the, I don't know what pictures, because I haven't seen the actual product yet, but if there's a, if they have the picture of all of us standing on the stage at the end of the, lined up uh, at the end of the concert, and I'm standing there next to James Hetfield, and I'm looking at him, I don't know if you can see it, and I <laughs> remember when I was, in the chat, let us know in the chat if that picture's in the final product. Yeah, I don't remember, I don't know if that one is in there, but it's, it's floating around, you know, it's in, it was in the movie, Yeah, I think at the end, anyway, um, uh, I'm standing there and I'm, and they, they got this picture and I'm looking at James and what I was thinking at that moment, I was like, 
I can't believe I'm standing here on stage with my arm around James Hetfield. This is so cool. <laughs> that's that's really great how like full circle it went for you. Do you yeah. remember any of the Metallica tunes that you pulled out with your old band? Oh yeah. I mean we would play, you know, of course one. And that was like I had to play that. You know, that was I just that was the coolest thing. And my brother was a drummer. And so we would jam on that in our basement and he got the double bass drum pedals. Nice. Yeah. You know? So like we would just jam out on that in my basement. And uh, so, yeah, I, that was, that was one of the big ones, you know, uh, the ride, the lightning album, the kill them all. Um, and justice for all was really that injustice for all was when I really started listening to them. Um, speaking of one uh, and, when, and when I had started listening to him, also it was right after Cliff had died, I guess. It was not. It was within a few years after Cliff had died. And I'm, that's yeah. when my, my brother pointed that out. He's like, yeah, this guy just died in a bus accident. And so he kind of knew all about it. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I, I, I played with that band. And then I, I started going in different directions. My, my sister was a singer and she had this kind of funk band that she sang in. And so I got a, <clears throat> I started playing with them and I ended up doing like, tower of power and earth wind and fire and you <laughs> nice. know uh, awesome music and and i just and that's the path i went down and i started playing in a salsa band and i did all kinds of different music and it it wasn't really until graduate school that i decided to i really wanted to focus on classical music nice and uh, fell in love with the orchestra rob trujillo would definitely um approve of the tower of power and all that funk stuff you were playing Oh yeah, we talked about that. Like, like one, one, after the rehearsal um, with the full orchestra down at the Cow Palace, um, I gave Rob. Rob was staying in a hotel actually not that far from my house, and so we rode back together. He rode uh, in my car with me, and and so we talked a lot. And he came to my house, and then we we ended up going to a, a bar and closed the bar. You know, here in the stay <laughs> there really late because he actually lived. I live in a town called Mill Valley, which is just north of yeah. San Francisco. And Rob actually lived here for a while. So it's just kind of wild. And he's like, yeah, man, let's go to the 2 a.m. club. So those of you that know Mill Valley, if you know the 2 a.m. club, Rob used to hang out there all the time. And so that's where we went. And we stayed there until they closed and just chatted and talked about Jocko and talked about, you know, funk music. And yeah, it was, it was great. We became good friends through that whole process. That's awesome. Just to get to some of the comments Scott is saying, first time i heard anesthesia i was like is this a bass or a guitar also made me want yeah. to learn how to play the bass yeah the sounds cliff burden got out of that instrument were really one of a kind uh shane yeah. adds in i was there for second show scott playing anesthesia gave me goosebumps from fantastic job dude you rock that Thank um I, there's a question there too shane i'm not ignoring it i uh, we're definitely going to get into that um so i'm curious um did you once you kind of established yourself as you know i want to pursue classical and orchestra yeah. um did you keep up with like were you, did you remain a fan of metallica or did you keep up with their career um beyond um, that initial introduction to them i would not a lot i mean i was so preoccupied with all of this other stuff sure um, and I was I was doing a lot of jazz and and uh, very deeply focused in that. I mean, Ron Carter became one of my big heroes, and Ray Brown. I actually got a couple lessons with Ray Brown, which was really inspiring. Um, and uh, so I so I yeah I kind of lost touch with it, but I never stopped being a fan. 
I just yeah. wasn't as involved for, for a little while. And then, sure. uh, but it's so funny, um, you know, the San Francisco symphony did that recording with Metallica. I remember always thinking like, Oh, that's just, I just thought it was just the coolest thing when they did SM1. Yeah. And then when I got the job out here, that was the thing that I was so bummed about. I was like, Oh, it's too bad. I wasn't a little older, so I could have gotten a gig. <laughs> You know, and done that show with them. And I yeah. and I remember when I first got in the band, I was I had to ask everybody, what was it like? What were they like? Were they, were they, you know, <laughs> a little bit of fangirling them, I guess. And, uh, and then I met Lars because actually Lars uh, lives here and he comes to concerts pretty regularly. He's become oh, nice. a pretty fan of the orchestra. And so um, the first time I met Lars, I was actually at a party that George Lucas was throwing and they wow. uh, invited a, <laughs> a handful of us from the orchestra to this it was when he opened the Letterman Digital Arts Center where he does a lot of the industrial light and magic stuff sure. in the Presidio. And so there were a lot of celebrities at that event and Lars was there. And um, I couldn't believe it. So I, I had met him once briefly backstage and then we were chatting at the, um, at the party. And then I called my brother and I'm like, you're never going to believe who I'm standing next to. Uh, <laughs> Lars Ulrich. <laughs> he just couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I I got to know Lars a, a little bit just because he yeah. would, I would hang, I would chat with him backstage every now and then, and actually I ran into him in, ran into him in my doctor's office once in the waiting room. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I'm like I recognized him, and and you know he's kind of trying to be incognito. He doesn't want to be recognized, and right. uh, maybe and so he's in the doctor's office. He's probably sick or something. And I just I looked at him and and uh <laughs> and I just kind of waved at him, and he was just like kind of playing it cool, just like you know I was like hey, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, so when did you first hear about S&M 2? Well, first of all, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going, I, I had a thought in my head and then escaped. Me. I was just going to make a point related to what you said, too. Um, I, I had an opportunity to speak to Edwin Outwater this past week for MetalTalk.net. Oh, great. Did an interview. And he was talking about how uh, I asked him, similar to what you uh, had said about, you know, when you were you aware of the first S&M and he started talking about when he was working with the San Francisco Symphony, how it sort of was like a legend among the players who had been mm -hmm. a part of it who are still there. So it was yep. cool to hear that little anecdote from you about how, you know, you would ask and they would share their stories and yeah. what the experience was like. So now you are in the orchestra, you are in the San Francisco Symphony, you find out about S&M 2, how do you find out what's your reaction? Um, so Mike MTT's uh, partner, Josh, husband, Josh, he, he was the one that first told me about it. And then or just said that you might be doing a, an SNM too. And I was like, okay. And then the management announced that this was going to happen, that this project was, you know, looking like it was definitely going to happen. And they, um, so I was getting more and more excited. And then when it got confirmed, I was just just over the moon. I was like, this is so awesome. I, I get to play with the band. This is going to be so great. And then um, that was right before we had gone out on tour a little over a year ago. And um, then while we were out on tour, I think we were in Kansas City, actually. And um, I was... And in like the line at the breakfast buffet or something like that in our hotel. And, and Michael Tilson Thomas came over to me. He's like, Hey, could you join me at, at my table? I want to talk to you about this SNM two project. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. So he sits, we sit down and he's like, all right. So 
we don't want this to be the same as last time. We want to do some different things. And one of the things we're considering is perhaps featuring individual members of the orchestra that might have some kind of a, another relationship with this music in some way. And, and he said, so, you know, I don't know if it would be the whole bass section or just you or, you know, a drummer or, you know, like what, I don't, not sure what we would do. And do you, do you have any ideas, any thoughts, you know, we'd be interested to hear. And, and I sat there for a moment and I said, you know what, I think I have an idea, but I have, I have to see if I can pull it off. So I'll, let me get back to you on that. And so the rest of the tour, I was starting to stew with it and, and, <laughs> and, and marinate in it. And, um, uh, and I, uh, then started downloading different versions of anesthesia and right. okay, listen to this one, listen to this one. And then, and then I started kind of, when we got back from tour, I started really working in earnest and playing on my upright bass and like, can I pull this off? And as I started fiddling around with it, I was like, this can totally work. This is going to, this is, this is going to work. But I was like, I don't know anything about these effects. So what am I going to do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I started doing research, you know, like what pedals did he use? What sort of a rig yeah. did he use? And then I started, looking at videos online of Metallica and you know, what kind of stage setup they were using. And I realized very quickly, oh my gosh, they're using this fractal system with the, um, with the in-ears. And so like, all right, so uh, I'm not going to have a, a rig. So I, I just have, I guess I just have to come up with a pedal board. And, uh, and then I started toying around with that idea and then think, then fearing that, oh my gosh, if I use an upright bass, an acoustic upright bass, it's just going to feed back like crazy. I mean, how are we going to, Right. amplify that you know, with thousands of watts and all that. And so I realized I was going to have to do it on an electric upright, which I did not own. And so um, poo-poo to Yamaha. I, I emailed them and I was like, hey, we've got this S&M 2 thing. And, and uh, I've been asked in preliminary, they liked the idea. I, I, so I, I got to backtrack a little bit. I proposed the idea to Michael when I realized I could pull it off. And he's like, sounds really good. You know, put it in an email and we'll propose it and we'll send it to the band. And, and so then there was a waiting game. But so during that time, I had to uh, uh, try and get all my ducks in a row in case it got pro pro uh, approved. Because if it, if it did get approved and I wasn't ready, that was going to be a big problem. So I just had to proceed as if it was happening. And, uh, and so I started doing lead work and I emailed Yamaha corporation. I was like, Hey, would you guys want to loan? Could you possibly loan me an electric upright to use? You know, it'll get lots of publicity and what they're like, yeah. uh, no, but you can purchase one. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. All right. So I started talking to some, uh, different, oh. um, so maybe I shouldn't say that to Yamaha. I'm probably burning some bridges because I do love their stuff. But uh, it was just kind of like it was just someone. They, but on the other hand, they probably didn't know who I was or like who is this yeah. joker emailing us. So in their defense, they're probably like, yeah, whatever. Um, I'm sure he's uh, really playing with Metallica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, um, anyway, so then I started talking to a friend who has a connection with this company in, in Italy called Alter Ego, and I emailed them and. And because of the personal connection, perhaps they realized it was more legit. And uh, they were excited about this. Like, yeah, we would love to make a base for you to use. And so they made one for me. And then I liked it so much. I was like, can I just buy it? You know, so I, they, they gave me a discount, but I had to buy it. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, that's fine. <laughs> but, uh, um, and so, yeah, so then I started, you know, trying to figure out, trying to find the right sound, the right equipment. And I just started experimenting with different pedals. And then I even hired, I got lessons with a guy. There's this um, music store nearby called Bananas at Large. And uh, and uh, uh, one of the guys there, Dan Bertazzelli, he's a, a sort of expert in effects. 
and mm -hmm. he uh, we met together and and I paid him for his time you know get lessons on how to use it how to tune these things like what things I should use and we were listening to recordings together he's like oh yeah he's definitely using this here and this here and um, wow. and so some of that stuff wasn't available I actually I contacted Morley and they sent me one of Cliff's pedals oh wow or not not I mean not original pedal but one of his yeah, Cliff yeah, yeah. Signature pedals yeah and uh, which was so nice of them and it sounded awesome the problem for me is i'm not that experienced with it and the layout of the pedal the way i wanted to sort of unleash the effects during the solo as a, the architecture that i was using i was too afraid i was going to miss the buttons and um and also the way i wanted to use the wah pedal i wanted to be towed up you mm -hmm. know on a, like a higher frequency when i turned it on and with their pedal like it just the way it was laid out it wasn't going to work that way so i ended up not using the morally but i i i loved the sound of it and i think they were kind of bummed understandably but um i ended up using um a wawa made by exotic which is a company here in california and has a lot of adjustability to it which was pretty cool um and also big mick actually and in the end had, uh, helped me with my pedal board too that yeah. was pretty awesome to have big Mick tuning your pedal board and he's like you know you might you might consider changing the arrangement here you know? and so like so like the morning of the first night that Friday morning man I was still like I was tearing my pedal board apart and putting stuff in a different order and uh because of the way it affected things in the oh, effects wow. and uh and people they were like you're nuts why are you doing it you know I'm like well it's gonna sound better and it was it was it was better I I got to the Chase Center uh, that afternoon and um and then mick was yeah he was happy he was like yeah the signal is more present and, and just yeah. so we just changed the order so yeah it worked well that's great i i was thinking the same thing that richard put in the chat he says love the story musicians never stop learning and that's what yeah. i was thinking when you're telling the story you know you're uh yeah i mean yeah you you can be as humble as you want to be but you have to be at the top of your game to be a in an orchestra especially one as prestigious as the san francisco symphony and uh so it's really fun to hear you talk about all the the whole process and all the steps you had to go through to kind of re-educate and learn for the first time some stuff that you did not know to get the right effects and the right yeah. bass and the right everything that's really interesting how long was that process from the initial idea to you showing up at the chase center okay um so the the, when the when we talked about it initially with M, with Michael Tilson Thomas, that was in probably like I think it was late March, early April, something like that, when we were on the tour, and um, and then I officially proposed the idea to them in May okay. of 2019, and then he said, "Well, we'll see." And then I didn't hear anything like official for a while. In fact, I really didn't get final word that this was <laughs> like like the band was really like totally into it, and it was going to happen until July. Wow. And, um, and even that it was later in July, Edwin actually called me. He ended up kind of being my liaison with the band at, at that point. Cause Michael was so busy with other things. And he said, uh, uh, he called me up. He's like, all right, the band wants to hear it. Make sure you're in San Francisco the week, the, the, the week before the shows, you know, in the end of August, the, the band wants to hear it before the, the week before the rehearsals. And I was like, okay. So I actually was going to be on the East Coast, and I canceled the trip naturally because I didn't know what day they were going to ask me to come in. And I, yeah. but I wasn't going to. I mean, I wasn't going to miss out on that. So yeah. sorry, guys. <laughs> so what was that experience like of going to Metallica HQ and playing it for the first time? I can. I have to imagine that it was 
a very emotional moment for the band uh, due to Cliff. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know. Is there other outtakes on the? Is there like that they have like behind the scenes footage and all that in the uh, product that they put out? You'll have to let's go to the chat and ask. I've not gotten yeah. my I got the early stream of the film itself, um, but I did not. I've not gotten yeah, the curious. actual Blu-ray yet. Because when I did that, when I played it for them, all they had cameras rolling the whole time. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it made some B-roll footage or something. I don't know. But they were like, they always have cameras going on, you know, because they're like, we never know when something's <laughs> going to happen and we're going to want footage for something. You know? So they were like, just ignore the cameras. I was like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I'll ignore them. <laughs> but anyway, so um, yeah, it wasn't even until the, the day before. It was a Wednesday. I got the call from one of the technical directors at the San Francisco Symphony. They're like, okay, Metallica wants you at three o'clock on Thursday. And our first rehearsal was on for the for the music just the orchestra without the band was on friday so that thursday um uh before the rehearsals a week before the shows um they yeah they wanted me at the at, at their hq which is only a 10 minute drive from my house actually and um so i get all my stuff and i go in there and and uh and the band was in the sound booth rehearsing and talking they weren't there when i came in so the other guys were kind of helping me and um, and then they showed me where to go and they brought me into the sound booth and, um, and there's, there's the band, except James wasn't in town. It was in, um, and Kirk was sitting there on the, on the, uh, couch behind the, the, you know, the big board and Greg Fiddleman yeah. was in there and Lars was kind of, you know, holding court and talking about things. And Edwin was in there and, um, and I think Rob was back in the far corner or something and i walk in and the first person to see me when i walked in was kirk and he's kind of noodling on his guitar and he looks up at me and he's like so who are you what do you do <laughs> not exactly i mean it was just it's just kind of a little bit jarring actually you know and i'm like and i'm standing there and i'm like well that's kirk hammett look at that you know <laughs> but so you were um, like I well said, i heard james was out of town i'm the temporary vocalist yeah i'm the so uh so when he said that i was like well uh i'm my name's scott and allegedly i'm a bass player and i might be playing something for you guys today and he's like all right cool all right, man, you know, it was pretty 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 casual and then rob came over and you know and introduced himself he's so yeah. nice and lars because i knew lars a little bit you know we've chatted a number of times and he's like hey scott great to see you you know and so he was that was nice to have that friendly familiar face and yeah and uh, you know, he's just such a total pro. He's like, all right, well, we're going to finish this now. And then are you comfortable? Do you want anything to drink? You know, they get this like whole yeah, kitchen yeah. and everything there. Like, yeah, uh, they're really, really nice. And uh, so, uh, so then I just kind of hung out there and they were talking about the set list and, um, and how they were going to transition to different tunes and, and working all that out with Edwin. And, and, um, and then after about, I don't know, I was in there for 30, 40 minutes. They were like, all right, well, do you want to play? for us now and i'm like okay okay so they they went and they <laughs> they sent me up um right where james normally stands when they rehearse wow and uh um so i get the get my rig set up i brought my own little amplifier this gensler amplifier which is just awesome and uh um set up my stuff and and then they all come in man with the cameras and like this whole entourage of people stand in this semicircle around me 
and uh and lars is sitting there and he's got a toothpick in his mouth and he's like <laughs> all right man so uh no pressure let's hear it you know yeah. <laughs> so he's like go <laughs> i was like okay here we go i said a little prayer in my head and then i just and then i just unleashed it and um it was really i mean i gave it everything and and after i was done i mean they everybody was just cheering and the first person to say anything was kirk and kirk was like man cliff would have loved that uh-huh. and it's so like and ultimate. he was you know kind of seemed emotional a little bit he was just yeah. so moved and i was and then i because i didn't know how what they were gonna think i mean i was i was kind of, i mean i loved doing it and i was excited about it uh but you just never know how they're gonna react to it and they were just so appreciative and so grateful and they're like oh let's get some pictures you know and like rob trujillo's <laughs> coming he's like man can i get your information i'm like bob wants my number you know <laughs> so, he was it was so sweet you know i'm not kidding rob was like dude yeah we gotta exchange it can i get your information man let's let's hang out it was so fun (laughs) that is so funny um i mean i have to imagine you know that'd be such an emotional moment for them and it's funny i think sometime in the last couple days i read an interview with lars ulrich promoting snm2 um it was either for Kerrang or Metal Hammer, I think. And he said mm-hmm. something along the lines of like, you know, at first it was really weird because I've only, you know, had that experience with Cliff playing it in front of me, um, especially when they've added like the drums to it and stuff like it was yeah, Lars, recorded. I, when Lars, when we played it together, that was only the second time Lars had ever played that with someone since Cliff died. Wow. And the other time was with Rob for one spe- one special occasion he he and rob yeah. did it and uh or maybe maybe there was a couple but anyway but, but no i think he said i thought he said that that when he did it with me and actually cory grove from rolling stone was the one that broke that to me i was before <laughs> the second night and i was backstage uh i was on the side of the stage there's no backstage there really uh, and uh, uh a couple hours before the show and i'm just kind of warming up and noodling and and then and Corey Grow comes over and someone says, "Oh, this is Corey Grow from Rolling Stone. He would love to interview you." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." So, so we're <laughs> we're chatting, and he's super nice. And he and then he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, Lars was telling me that playing it with you—that's only the second time he's ever done it since Cliff died." And I was oh, like, "Wow, whoa, yeah." I had no idea, and like the weight of that was suddenly intense. And actually, I got kind of a little unhinged by that. I have to say, I was a little shaken by that, and it really kind of messed with my head. And so um, I just disappeared for a little bit. Like I found I, there was these huge boxes and things stacked backstage or the back area of the chase center. And I got a chair and I found my way behind that where it was quiet, where I could just be by myself for a while because I was just like, I just couldn't, I didn't want to be around, you know, anybody. I just had to like be alone for a little bit to just kind of pray and, focus my mind and and uh, it was um because yeah that really really affected me when he said that uh, uh, yeah what so tying in with all of that you know you you're at the chase center um it's a very different situation than you're probably used to in a lot especially when it comes to orchestra performances where yeah. you're in arena you're in the round yeah you you have a much louder audience than 
uh, oh, is I typical it, for symphony I wish concerts. Classical, so sometimes I wish classical concerts were had more of that. <laughs> so what was that like, and how um, how does that affect your performance in terms of what you hear? I know there was a question in the chat from Christopher. He says. You look so in the moment of your anesthesia performance. Could you feel and hear the crowd entry through your ear monitors, or were you that locked into your performance? Um, and he finishes, at what point did you realize what you did was something special, one of the top highlights of the show? So can you walk us through what it was like performing it on stage? And Yeah. Uh, um, I, well, one thing, I tried not to think about it too much. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> because that's the thing. I mean, you hear that with, with lots of performers in different whether they're athletes or uh dancers or whatever it's it's, just, it's that that you you don't want to get distracted and get out of your head or get too much into your own head you like you just want to be in the thing you're doing and uh, so i just tried to stay focused and so uh, basically so we play the whole show and it's nice to you know i go out there and you feel the energy of the crowd. I mean, it's just with 20,000, almost 20,000 people in this room. I mean, it's just electrifying. Yeah. And um, so it, those that first uh, whole portion of the show were out there. I'm kind of like bathing in that bathing in other kinds of things too. the various kinds of smoke that were floating around in there too. That was, that was uh, interesting, but uh, maybe that helped calm me down. <laughs> and, and uh uh, so yeah. I, um, uh, and it's, and it's kind of unsettling too, cause the thing rotates around and it's like, Oh wait, where's my base? You know, it's like, Oh, it's on the other side. I gotta go find it. You know? Uh, so I work my way over to the, to the stage crew guys where they've, they've got all the stuff set up and I, and I already had it all kind of ready to go set up. They set up this, uh, um, little barrier so that nobody bumped it or tipped it over or anything. And, and I have to say the Metallica fans, you know, metal fans get a reputation of being kind of unruly and whatnot, and that's great, and they have fun. But man, they're so respectful, and they were just so, uh, you know, like they just left the guys alone. They didn't bother them, you know. And yeah. even after the show, like we're packing up, like people would come up. They could have like bum rushed the the stage, yeah, and like to try and grab picks and things like that. And there was a few people that did that, but for the most part, people were very respectful, and they're standing right there, and they're like, "Hey, man, would you mind, you know?" could you grab me that pick off the stand or whatever? And I was like, I don't care. Sure. Here, take it. You know, <laughs> so, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, so going back to your, to your question. Um, uh, so yeah, kind of bathing in that for the first portion of the show. And then um, when the, the all within my hands is the song before then there's no bases on that. If I remember right, or maybe there are, but I just, I didn't play that one so that I could go over mm. and start getting set up and get warmed up make sure the, the rosin on my bow, that's this little sticky substance we put on the hair and that I have the right amount on there so that I can, you know, grab the string when I play. Cause playing an electric upright is a very different kind of response from an acoustic. Yeah. So I have to, I've been playing the whole show on an, an acoustic upright with a different feel and different response. And so I needed to kind of noodle on it a little bit to get that ready. And then, um, and then the song ends and then James starts to introduce me. And then that's when the whole train, like we had it all, set like which guy would go first and i'd follow with my bass and then i would sit down they would do this they would plug in they would put a this sandbag down on my end pin so the thing didn't move while i was playing and like there was this whole choreography uh that had to take place i mean it's just so professional these guys it's just amazing and um uh, and they you know anything to just make me feel comfortable and and uh yeah. and that so that helped just kind of stay focused and, and in it and then um 
to the general, uh, someone's question about, you know, the, the in-ears I have my, uh, I actually bought ultimate ears in-ear headphones just for this show. So I, I forked out like almost a grand because I was like, I'm going to get awesome in-ear custom, you know, in-ear headphones. And, and they sound amazing. I got the same ones that they use. They use the UE sevens. Um, and so that's what I got. Um, and Edwin too. I talked Edwin into getting. I was like, "Dude, you got to get some of these headphones." He's like, "Okay." So he, he got them too. So he and I both got UE7s for the, just for the show, and I've used them many times since then. They sound amazing. Um, and so uh, yeah, I, I was aware of the crowd. I could hear the crowd, um, but you know, mostly I'm hearing what's in my ears. But almost more than hearing the crowd is I could feel the crowd, and yeah. I could feel the sound in the room. So I'm hearing it primarily in my my in-ears, but when you have, I don't know how many thousands of watts and how many speakers were going in there, moving that much air, it's like, you feel it, man. It's visceral. And yeah. so when I start that first note, the, the E and B double stop, uh, that fifth, um, it's just, I can feel it just rumbling in the room. And it was just like, it, it's just... I, I I can't even put words to what that felt like. You know, it's just yeah, just from an, uh, just yeah. I, I I don't even know how to describe it. It's just it, it eludes me because it's just this this power that's there. I mean, it's just like this massive sound and just sinking in on that. And and I can talk through the whole solo too. Like every, everything that I did actually was very intentional. I spent a lot of time kind of constructing this. And, uh, I. I would love to hear that. I know everybody else would too, because I was actually going to ask you, you know, it seems we know we're getting a bass solo. We know we're getting some kind of tribute to Cliff Burton because James yeah. Hetfield himself introduces you. Um, yeah. And you start performing on the bass. And in, at first you're, you know, I think the audience and I've spoken, I was not there, but I've spoken to a couple of people who were there and they're like, yeah. you know, at first we're like, What's what's, what's going on? What's what going on? Is... And then yeah. you you kind of start doing the do 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 do, and then you hear like the roar of the crowd yeah. on the out, yeah. like it clicked. And then so yeah, please walk us through how you yeah. arranged that, how you constructed that solo. That'd be yeah. Awesome. So I didn't want to go right into it. I wanted to, there to be a kind of story of how I got into it, and so I start with this really low note. And it's funny, I toyed with so many different ideas of how this was going to work, and before I even knew how much Cliff was into Bach, I would hear Bach in his playing. And so I had actually kind of worked out this whole sort of Bachian intro. And um, and then it was only later when talking to, to Kirk that he told me that, oh, Cliff was crazy about Bach. He was listening. And I was like, I knew it. I could tell. And so I had a whole, a lot of different things for the intro uh, planned. And then I just wasn't, it wasn't, something wasn't right. And then I just was like, okay, forget it. And I just turned on my phone and videoed myself and I just started improvising and just see where things took me. And that's how that, some of that first part of that intro came about is it, I was I just, this needed to be something ethereal. And I started low in ethereal because I wanted it to be like Cliff was kind of emerging yeah. out. And if you, you listen to it, like I do these intervals and I'm kind of re they're kind of reaching up. And that's kind of what the image I'm trying to, to get is like, he's, he's like, it's just emerging out. And there's a, a motive, uh, which is a, a musical term for like something kind of a lick, or it's like a building block of music that cliff would always play this, this lick at the end of the solo 
to cue Lars that the end of the solo was coming. You played it all in harmonics, right? And because that was like one of the last things he would often play in the solo, I decided to take that and make it one of the first things I played. And I kind of reimagined it into sort of almost a lamentation. And so if you listen in my intro, I actually play it, uh, but kind of slowly and, and, um, and just sort of mournfully. Yeah. And it's kind of hidden in there. Um, and I playing around with some of the intervals that he used uh, in the solos, these fifths and these seconds. And, um, and so I just, I wanted to tell the story and then this, this sort of emotional thing of like him kind of trying to reach out to his buddies and his fans and just say, Hey, remember me, you know, remember guys when I used to play this lick and I used to do that. And so I, so that's when I, 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 I play that, that last lick from his solo and I play it kind of mournfully with lament and then, um, slowly then I go into the and I do that. And it's like, it gives you a, um, a glimpse back to his sort of is almost becoming real again. And, but then I go out of it again and, and I play these kind of like moving chords, like, uh, where he he does a little bit but then i kind of play these chords to express a kind of frustration almost like it's like him like no i'm, I'm i have to get through it and I, and i play and i work my way down and then that's where i do that thing where and where i change you know, I, I click on the fuzz and i hit that big chord because to me that's the moment where cliff is like you know, that's he, you know because he was doing that all the time right yeah so that's where he just bursts through and then i took um a lick from one of the other versions that he did i forget which one one of the live versions there was this lick that he did and so then i took that and ran with that and then and then worked my way into the uh into the the main part of the solo and so it's sort of like that's him coming alive and but i'm but at the whole time i'm kind of partnering with him you know but i wanted yeah. it to be about him and um and then I, and then i play a lot of his solo pretty you know it's it's close to the original as 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 i could you know in some ways you know i you can't take myself out of the equation uh but i was you know, i sort of transcribe and i spent a lot of time trying to learn it and just his phrasing and um and uh and and then go through and then at the end i kind of throw in some of my own stuff uh the solo but it, uh this sort of that we have the last word together you know yeah yeah i love that um it when i was listening to it it came across and i think you perfectly captured the feel of cliff in so many ways because he was so he, as structured as he was with his playing, I feel like he was so loose and improvisational at times yeah and your solo i was actually wondering how uh, composed if it, every note was planned because it seemed almost improvisational at moments. Well, that's the thing is, and, and that's one of, one of the important things with classical music is you have, your notes are chosen for you, but you also have to remember that the notes are just a blueprint for sound. So even in classical music, though, the notes may be picked out the emotion, the way you move phrases and stuff, there's always an element of improvisation. It's never the same way twice. Right. And so um yeah i had worked out a lot of the notes for the most part there was a little bit of improvisation uh here and there but a lot of it it was i was just what i believed that cliff was playing you know based on different versions and um 
I kind of worked that out and, and I was playing that, but, it, but the, the way I'm doing it and expressing with it, and there's, there's, there's a little give and take improvisatory uh, aspect to it. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of it was worked out at least because, and the main reason why was because I wanted it to be Cliff's material. Right. And, uh, and plus, you know, just to work out the choreography on the instrument too, is a, yeah. know, a, a task, but uh, but yeah, there, like there's a few things that I'm improvising. And of course, the whole end, like at you know when Lars and I are just kind of jamming at the very end, like that's all improvised. Yeah, that's that was great. Both nights. That's great. So, um, just to get to a couple of comments, Scott, Scott is saying thanks much, thanks so much for that love. To hear your take on it, um, Rich is saying one of my favorite things about Scott's solo and the whole show is how it captures the physicality of classical music because we know metal is very physical. But sometimes you guys make it look easy. Um, start throwing your questions for Scott in the chat. I'm going to be scrolling through here and uh, picking through them. So if you have questions, please throw them in the chat. Um, yeah, the the solo, it, Chris was sort of asking too in his question to go back to that. At what point did you realize what you did was something special on the top highlights of the show? I, I mean, as a fan who was not there, I yeah. was like every other fan not there where i'm like glued to twitter the night of like nerding yeah. out like all right what's the set list going to be what yeah. and when i saw anesthesia pulling teeth in the and then explored what that performance was about i mean your name quickly spread among us metallica nerds and uh, <laughs> um as this uh you know as really the highlight of the show for many many fans so oh wow when, that's when amazing did, when did you did you have like an indication within like you know the week following the show as to sort of what the reaction was from fans yeah i mean like i mean i don't i'm i'm terrible about terrible about social media i had facebook years ago and, and i just was like eh, this is not me and i just like <laughs> closed my account I, I have an instagram account and i just i'm not that good with it it's just, it's so hard for me to get into that stuff. But, um, so I did a little bit, you know, I was just seeing reactions, I guess, a little bit on that. And, and then, um, yeah, I was getting text messages from people and, and emails forwarding me links and, and things in that. And I was just like, <laughs> whoa, okay. Yeah. Um, this is the people are enjoying that. And actually what Lars said to me after the, um, after we finished on the first night, Lars came when, uh, ran up to me on stage because you know they weren't sure how the audience would have it. I mean, I think, I think Lars said at one point. So after they heard it, they actually re redid the set list because Lars said something to the effect he's like, you know, this is going to be an important moment in the show. And so after I auditioned it for them, and so they actually changed the set list uh, after oh, wow. they heard it, um, and uh, because it was going to be in an earlier portion of the show, and uh, they're like, no, we need to put this right before our Rome. So. Wow. Um, anyway, so so Lars had that, and that, and that was sort of a first tip off. I was like, "Wow, these guys are really into it." So, but they, you never know how the fans will react. And um, that when they were just cheering and everybody was standing and everything like that, so Lars came around the drum set and he runs up to me, gives me a big hug, and he's like, "Man, they fucking loved it!" You know, <laughs> he was like, he was he was really really pumped and just you know, yeah. that, was, that was really neat moment. That's great. So I know you mentioned James was out of town for HQ. So do you know when he, his first opportunity to hear and what his yeah. reaction was it, to it, it? That was on the, 
Sunday night rehearsal. It was either Sunday or Monday night. One of those. I think it was a Sunday night. Sunday night rehearsal at the Cow Palace, which is this other venue because the Chase Center wasn't available yet. So yeah, they set the whole stage up and the rigs and everything um, in this other arena in South San Francisco uh, as a mock-up. And then they had to tear everything down and move it over to the Chase Center. <laughs> Poor road crew. <laughs> yeah, poor road crew. Those guys are intense. Um, so that's where James heard it. And But before he had heard it, um, he came up to me and he's like, uh, so I was introduced to him and he's like, man, I'm I'm hearing some good things about what you're doing or some, something to that effect. And I was like, yeah, cool, man. I hope you like it. And then, uh, and so then uh, they set me up and the whole, uh, yeah, the orchestra hadn't heard it yet until that night. And Edwin uh, had said something in a rehearsal. He's like, so we're going to do this and then we're going to do feature Scott. And then people are kind of perking up. And the other bit, I kept it quiet. Actually, I didn't tell anybody about it. Yeah. Nobody in the orchestra knew about it, including all my good buddies in the band. I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. And it was, they, uh, and I was supposed to kind of keep it hushed. And even after like Metallica heard it, uh, they wanted, they said, like, please don't, nothing on social media. We want this to be a surprise. Like, you know, try to keep this quiet. But, so I, that was my instinct was to just keep the whole thing quiet. Very few people yeah. knew about it. And so they're all like, wait, what is this? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to, you'll see, you'll see. And so uh, <laughs> that was fun. So James got to see it the same time the orchestra got to see it. Wow. And so they all reacted together. And that was really, uh, that was really fun. That was really special. And James was, he was very moved by it. He was, he, he just, he came up and he had this huge smile on his face. And he was just shaking his head. And he gave me a bit a hug and he was just like, man, Yeah that was awesome yeah he was, yeah. He, was, he was very appreciative and that meant a lot to me really meant a lot uh shane's asking he says i was there for second show scott playing anesthesia gave me goosebumps fantastic job dude you rock that any difference you notice between night one to two so it was a two-night concert yeah. um i believe night one was primarily uh chase center affiliates because it was opening yeah. and then night two yep. was pure metallica yep. fan club members so from an audience perspective from uh uh or anything you from your end that you know about the audience or just your overall performance or anything what were there was there any big things that stood out between the two nights well i mean just from the the the, the energy was intense both nights but i would say that the second night it was even more intense because those were the diehard Metallica fans. Yeah. You know, and from all over the world too. Like I was just so blown away seeing all the flags and signs and where people had come from. And I've gotten many different messages from people on, on Instagram of like, man, I flew all the way from Australia or New Zealand or from Uruguay or, you know, just various yeah, yeah. all over Germany, Scandinavia. I mean, people came from everywhere for this. It was incredible. And, uh, um, you know, the first night, yeah, there was some of the more like sort of corporate audience, like, you know, maybe they appreciated it, but it just, it's, a, no, it was still good. It was still good. But the second yeah. night was very special because yeah. that was the, the diehards, you know, um, um, I mean, it was all special, but it, yeah. And it's, as far as my own performance of it, the first night I actually played it a little faster. <laughs> maybe it was the <laughs> nervous energy. So the second night I decided to, to just kind of slow it down and pull it back a little bit because Cliff did lots of different tempo sometimes faster sometimes slower yeah. you know, for different versions i heard and so i decided to take it slower and i actually extended some parts of the solo a little bit more on the second night and that's that's the that's what they they use for the uh for the movie 
Yeah, uh, I was going to second ask. night. Yeah, they yeah. In fact, they did. I don't think they did any editing to it, as far as I can tell. It's pretty much you know everything's from the first night. Even though there was there was a couple little spots. I asked Greg Fiddleman. I was like, man, can you can you cut in this little part from the first night? I was I liked that a little bit better than the and, and he was like, yeah, we'll see. And yeah, they didn't do it. <laughs> I think they were like, you're overthinking it, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I will say this: having heard the album, I think it really uh, like the the first S and M to me from '99 is a great live record, but it's it, it's very clean and crisp and snm2 is the same but it better captures the live feel in my yeah. opinion there's more of an audience yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's more immersive yeah it, it's you can hear the audience more in the mix um and it just sounds a little bit more lively and better capture captures like the live feel of the band in my opinion so it doesn't surprise me that they were just like we'll see because they probably just want to capture that moment more than anything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they they want that they, that energy was so important to them. Yeah, uh, Deacon and Jones show shout out to you guys. Uh, they're asking how were you able to keep it together while playing with one of the greatest bands of all time and matching their greatness. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really. Uh, is my picture going out right now? It looks like my internet was messing was uh, having a problem. Um, the, uh, I, again, I tried not to think about that, you know, yeah. um, cause that would, you can get kind of unglued. And, um, so, you know, I remember that, you know, these guys are all human beings too, you know, as, as much as you idolize them, they're still people. And, um, so I never try to lose sight of that. And I'm a pretty experienced performer. I mean, I've been around the block a lot and worked with a lot of great classical musicians and, uh, and so, you know, it's a different sort of scale. I mean, they're bigger than almost any any band ever. Uh, but um, still, like, there are musicians I've worked with and I'd be very excited about and intimidated by. And, and so the more you have those kinds of experiences, the more you can kind of deal with it. And then the older you get to it, you just realize that everybody's, everybody's people. Yeah. As much as, as, much as you ide- idealize them and, and admire them, that there's, and that's all good and that's healthy uh but still they're people right um shane's asking do you know there was any talk about playing orion um i know the song selection was probably between the band and edwin and michael tilson thomas but do you know if there was any discussions about any other no. songs that did not make the cut um or... no because i you know i proposed the anesthesia and that was the one that popped into my head because i thought that would be the one that would be easier to pull well not, not no easier that was the one that was i was inspired to do um that i, I orion is is also just it, it's a different sort of construction and composition and um i just the anesthesia especially with the the funkiness in it you know and the and the, yeah. the driving in it like I, I just that was the one i was compelled to do um uh cliff's uh uh, half sister or stepsister, uh, she was she was saying she was kind of hoping I might do Orion at some point. So um, and uh, and and Ray Ray Burton was just so great, man. He was just such a sweetheart. And um, um, yeah, he's like, yeah, maybe sometime do Orion. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of sure, I, man. I see Chris in the chat saying, did you know ahead of time that Ray Burton was going to the shows? Yeah, yeah. Um, cause so Casey, uh, Cliff's sister, uh, she had emailed me 
because she had found out that I was doing this through Morley, actually. So that I go back to that story where I, um, they sent me the pedal, then they let, cause she, you know, she runs sort of the family business and they own the rights to the pedal and whatnot. And they were like, by the way, this guy's going to do this thing at SNN too. So she got my email from them and, uh, and she's like, yeah, I want you to know that, that we're going to be at the shows and we're so excited and, 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 you know, it'd be great to meet you. We're so grateful for you doing this. They're so sweet. And so that was very meaningful for me to know that he was in the audience. And then, um, it was really fun to meet him at the after party after the, the first show. And he and I, you know, so Rob Trujillo introduced me actually on my Instagram page, there's pictures of that after party. Uh, and when I met him and we were hanging out and, uh, um, and so Ray and I end up sitting and talking until I think it was like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Ray Burden's a beast. <laughs> he's a beast. And, and, like, and I'm like, at that point, it's like I think it was maybe even four thirty or something. I'm like, man, I gotta, I, I gotta hang it up, man. I'm tired. And he's like, like, he was just like, what? It's just, it's just getting started. You know, he's just like, he's so funny. And uh, and so I left, and you know, he and Rob were still, they were all still hanging out. And, um, and then there was nothing on that Saturday. So I had, you know, I could recover. And then, um, then, then there was the Sunday show and, and, you know, it was interesting chatting with Ray after the Sunday show, God rest his soul. He, um, uh, he said, he said to me, you know, the first night it was just all pure excitement to get to hear. And he says, in the second night, I was able to sit back and listen to it and appreciate it in another way. And he says, I wept. He says, I just wept. And that I, that brought me to tears, actually, you know, just standing there and talking. And I don't know, Ray, if you know about this, but Ray has been through so much tragedy. Yeah. Losing losing his wife. And I think there were one or maybe even two other siblings of Cliff's yeah, that lost. Yeah, there's been a lot of tragedy in that. Oh, that my family. gosh. And you would never know it talking to Ray. I mean, he's just a just spitfire and just like. I just, when I, that night I got to know him and I'm just like, man, I just, I don't even know what to say. I like, you're just so amazing. I wish I had half of your fortitude, man. This is incredible. And, um, so yeah, he was just, that was really, really sweet moment. And then, you know, and, and Casey was just wonderful too. And, and, uh, and then we stayed in touch a little bit after that. And then, you know, Ray got sick and, and, um, yeah. And so, but I was so grateful and so glad that he, that I, he got to see it, you know, yeah. and then I got to give him that gift, yeah. you know, yeah. do that That's for him. So yeah, that was really wonderful. That was actually one of the most, most important parts of the whole thing for me. That's, a, that's amazing. I remember saying on my podcast, um, after Ray passed, just like, I can't think of another band that loses a member and a parental unit. It yeah. becomes such a, presence among yep. the fans of that band like he yep. really the way he stepped up to carry on cliff's legacy yeah um in so many ways is just so amazing and a real gift for the fans and it, it when ray passed it was like a big blow to everybody who yeah loves the band you know it, it just yeah, yeah it was. he was a really special guy yeah he sure was and and uh you know, yeah, he's the fact that he, as old as he was, it doesn't make it necessarily any easier. You yeah. know, he had a, a long life 
and did so much, but yeah, it still doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. And it's just yeah. kind of a passing of an era in a way. For sure. Um, if you have comments or questions for Scott, please leave them in the chat. I, I want to try to get to as many as we can in the time that we have. Um, Attila is saying, first of all, Attila, I thought you commented like an hour ago that you were going to bed. Maybe that was somebody else, but you're still with us. So thank you. Anesthesia pulling teeth. She writes was definitely the very peak of these two great and memorable nights. Your great tribute performance really meant a lot for us. Many thanks for that. Dear Scott cliff spirit and memory lives forever. Um, and, and I, and I think that's why it was so, um, why I caught on so much was not only was it a great performance, but, you know, Cliff is obviously just such a huge part of Metallica's legacy and every Metallica fan has a soft spot for Cliff. So I think it was just yeah. really, uh, I think it was really touching for all of us um, who are really diehards with the band. Um, yeah, it's, in fact, I think my, my wife kind of scours the internet for these things a little bit, but she, there was, a, <laughs> there was a, a, a an article she sent me and it was, I think it was it was either Kirk or or, or, or no, it's, that maybe there was the writer of the article saying that that this like doing this solo is like verboten almost, you know, it's like yeah. sacrosanct, and yeah. um, you know, and I I kind of knew that a little bit, but I, again I tried not to think about it too much. I was just like <laughs> I just want to really kill this. Uh, I just really yeah. want this to be awesome. Um, Patricia's asking, what's your favorite Metallica song, and. Are there any others you would have liked to see on the set list for SNM two? Oh man, well, that's tough. It changes, you know. It depends on my mood. Like, uh, uh, someone just sent me, uh, I guess Jason Momoa, uh, the the uh, actor. <laughs> yeah. I Aquaman. guess Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, Aquaman. I don't know if you've seen on his Instagram. He's yeah. unveiling the SNM thing and he's watching. And what it, what clip does he show? He shows my. Yeah, anesthesia. I saw that yesterday. And he's talking about anesthesia into Rome. And he's like, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so it was interesting. And so I watched that. And then when I heard Rome and I was like, maybe that's my favorite Metallica song. Cause it's just like this, just fat yeah. sound. It's just like, ah, oh. but then there's other times like, no, it's Cthulhu. Cause it's so orchestral and it's like this yeah, tone yeah, yeah. poem, you know? Uh, and then there's other times it's it's one no it's battery so I can't I can't really put my master of puppets I can't put my finger on what would be my favorite one um, as far as missing from the set list uh, I don't know I um, I don't know I thought it was a pretty good set list you know I, I I was pretty happy with 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 everything that they they put on there yeah I think uh, I think one of the big takeaways i had from snm2 as a fan was i i love the first snm i think it's a classic album but for me snm2 was like just so much more balanced in the set list like there's really no weak moments um in terms of like i just feel like every arrangement they chose from the first one is one like the top-notch arrangements yeah and all the new arrangements just really translated so well um yeah. So I think it was just really solid across the board. Um, let's see. Jump back into some of these questions here. Chris is asking, what was it like seeing yourself on the big screen at the movie premiere? Uh, were you able to see yourself in the theaters when it when it aired yeah, back in so, October? Um, well, I went to the the screening. Actually, talk, I mentioned that Letterman Digital Arts Center that George Lucas built. 
uh, in the Presidio here in town. And so I was, uh, I went to that. I actually took my older daughter to that. And there's, um, and so I was hanging out with Lars and my daughter at that. There's some cool pictures of that. That was fun. But uh, yeah, so it was a <laughs> private screening uh, at the, at that, the uh, George Lucas's place where they do some of the Star Wars stuff. And uh, so that was the first place I saw it. And, um, and there were certain select fans. I don't know if they won some sort of sweepstakes or something or whatever. There was, there were, there were some fans in there yeah. too that somehow got in and, uh, and they were, and, they, and like I said before, they were so respectful and like, and they're sitting around me in front of me. And then afterward, like they were just turning around like, man, great. You know, like it was, it was really, it was really a wonderful shared experience. And it was, yeah. um, I really loved seeing it on the screen. It was a little weird, but it was, it was fun. But actually yeah. the funnier one was. So my wife wanted to see it, even though my wife was at the first night and my, that older, my older daughter was also at the first night live. But so my wife really wanted to see it in the theater. So we went to a small theater up in San Rafael, not far from their headquarters, actually. Um, and uh, we, we so the, it's totally full. And uh, this guy's sitting next to me and, and we're you know chatting. And, and uh, there was some guy that worked at the theater that comes out and he's like, hey, uh, anybody at the live shows and, and, you know, I raised my hand and, and this guy turns to me and looks and he's like, Oh, was it good? And I was like, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this. And, and, uh, and so then they, then they play it. And then I do my solo and it was so funny. This guy's sitting next to me and he's like, <laughs> looking over at me. And, uh, and, and he just looked, he's like, wait a minute, is that you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I was there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really funny. And then, uh, and then when we were leaving, uh, you know, afterward, then then a lot of people started recognizing me in the lobby and stuff. And so it's, you know, I got to have my little fifteen minutes of fame. I guess it was kind of funny. <laughs> That's great. Um, Sarah Savetto. Hey, Sarah. As a she writes, as a former college symphonic musician, it was such a blessing to share the orchestral pieces with my husband. Thank you for your amazing arrangement of anesthesia. Did you take inspirations from any particular classical piece when adding your flair to your version of anesthesia? Um, I, I don't know that I can overtly say that there was a specific classical piece, but I will say that, you know, like, like I said earlier, there was this sort of uh, current of Bach flowing through it. And so if yeah. you're familiar with the Bach cello suites and there's these movements, these dance movements called the Sarabande, which actually was a very, uh, sensual kind of risque dance back in the late 1600s, early 1700s. It was this court dance that was from Spain that was kind of considered to be a little bit taboo. And um, there were elements of the Sarabande that I would, when I was first writing it, that I would, it, it, it's not very overt, but there's a little bit of that, of that dance movement from some of the Bach cello suites. And, and I mentioned that to Kirk, uh, when we were hanging out in the kitchen at HQ and he was just like, Oh, you know, after he told me that Cliff was so into Bach and, and he was telling me how they would do these marathon listening sessions. Cliff would bring all these pile of records of all these like, Oh man, you got to check out this Shostakovich or whatever, you know, he would have all this classical stuff and they would listen to it. And that's from Ray. Ray yeah. told me that he pushed Cliff to make sure he always understood classical music and, wow. and jazz. Ray, Ray was like a walking encyclopedia of big bands too. Ray's a huge big band fan. That's great. If you have any final comments or questions for Scott, please get them in uh, before we start wrapping up here. Um, 
besides, I mean, Anesthesia doing that solo, I have to assume is the highlight of SM2 for you. Is there any other moments of the concert that you, that it's a really fond memory, whether it be performance wise or just something that happened um, in the process that you walk away with that you're is, uh, just as a proud or fond memory? just being up there with everybody and sharing the experience like the whole thing i mean there's many peak experiences and um you know there's parts where it's just like we're just jamming and i'm just playing this like you know on my upright bass it's not even the anesthesia there's moments where it's just it just feels so good and it's so awesome you're just like yeah you know it's just so (laughs) like there's a time where i think james was singing he you know because they were running around to different microphones and there's a moment where james is like right next to me we're just rocking out he's kind of looking (laughs) over at me i don't know if that's in the film or not but it was uh that was really oh yeah there are moments like that some little little mini peak moments but the whole thing was just you know a highlight of my musical career no question that's one of my favorite parts about watching the film is because it's like the first S and M, you know, they they had like little pathways for the band to kind of navigate at times for the orchestra, but this is in the round and it's really, which the band primarily plays in, in Reno's. Yeah. And um, so to incorporate the orchestra with that was such a, 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 a feat and probably a logistical nightmare. Oh my um, gosh. When, <laughs> actually Edwin, Edwin had a lot to do with uh, that from what I understand. And Edwin, when he told me, we were talking, he's like, man, you're not going to believe this. We're going to have the orchestra in the round on stage and the stage is going to rotate. And I'm like, no way. How in the hell are they going to do that? It was just, you know, I, I it was the scale of this thing was just so massive. Yeah. It was just yeah, amazing. I mean, yeah, people that I got to meet and hang out with and um, hang out with Michael Borden, uh, the uh, the drummer from Faith No More, yeah. you know, backstage, <laughs> my, you know, after party and and uh, um, <clears throat> and uh, chatting with the owner of the of the um, uh, who's one of the part owners of the Chase Center and the um, uh, the Warriors, you know, just like just, just never know who you're talking with, you know, some yeah, of these yeah, things. Yeah. That's great. Um, so it, this is sort of a weird time for, uh, you know, musicians with the everything going on. Yeah, it's what horrible. can we what what can we kind of expect from you and or the orchestra going forward and you know maybe into twenty twenty one more most likely is there are yeah. there plans behind the scenes going on about what's well, next it's, or it's it's tough man it's a it's pretty ugly in san francisco because the city is being so restrictive you know i mean i i don't i'm not a health expert so what do i know but um i mean they're being very very cautious and so uh and we have to honor their rules and and um uh there's not much that we can do and it's really very difficult and so they're trying to plan things that are going to be designed just for really for, for streaming release. I mean, the yeah. city won't let more than 12 people in the building at a time. So how are yeah. we supposed to have an orchestra? You know, certainly can't do anything right. live performances. And um, <clears throat> so that's what's being talked about right now. And there's a lot of negotiations going on behind the scenes and it's all very complicated and dealing with, you know, contracts and, and um, 
finances and and it's it's just going to be difficult this year this is going to be a hard year and i don't know how much live concerts we're even going to have you know i we're, we're going to do whatever we can we're trying we're doing whatever yeah. we can yeah and so um yeah it's it's this is a very hard time this year for almost well, for a lot of people i mean there's so many people that are hurting well i'm glad i could bring it down <laughs> yeah yeah i know thanks for bringing the, the big bummer you know we're like we're all <laughs> you know we have to you yeah know, stay, try to stay positive and, and take yeah, it day yeah. by day i have good days and bad days or some days yeah. where i'm just because i'm not used to not playing right and there's some days like i haven't gone this long without performing since i started playing music yeah and i feel it in my hands like like i still practice and stuff every day but it's not the same it's like you know, yeah. being a professional football player, I mean, you can be going to the gym and working out, but if you're not on the field playing and, and exercising those synapses and all that stuff, I mean, it's just, it's not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, we can navigate through this and things can get back to where they were or yeah. at least some kind <clears throat> of... Um, well, the optimistic normal, side yeah. of me says that if anything, people are realizing how badly we need shared experiences and human contact and that yeah. that live music will be relished and appreciated beyond what it ever was bef before in our lifetimes, perhaps, because now we know what it's like to not be able to have it in many cases. And I know like for me, it's just like I'm, I'm probably going to be just like a puddle of tears like when i first get to you know go and perform in front of an audience again you know, it's, it's uh it's it's really really tough and i i do have some things uh po possibly coming up uh but you know it's it, it's all tenuous or tentative uh, I, say. <clears throat> I know there's a question in the chat about um you know is there do you think there's a a good way where you know to support musicians, orchestra members during this time and sort of uh, for those who have the means who want to? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, San Francisco Symphony is an orchestra that's, you know, we're nonprofit organizations. A lot of what we uh, generate in ticket sales is only a small portion of our expenses. Like San Francisco Symphony, I think only 35% of our budget is covered through ticket sales. So oh, 35 wow. or 40, which is actually pretty high for an orchestra. Yeah. Some orchestras are, are quite a bit lower than that. Um, so yeah, gifts are always appreciated. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and it's because it's scary. I mean, like where I live, it's extremely expensive here. Yeah. And and our our salaries have been cut drastically because we're not giving concerts. And so right now I'm making a fraction of what I normally make. And so I, I don't want to sing my sob story because, you know, there's a lot of people much worse off than me. But, you know, you know, who knows what will happen? And, and if it goes on long enough, like there's a lot of us that might have to move. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's scary. And that's 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 a terrifying reality. And, but you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, there's a lot of people that are suffering much worse than I am. So I, I don't want to go into that too long, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, if you look around and you see GoFundMes or, or, or donations or, or, or San Francisco symphony even, or, or various organizations, yeah. People that want to donate 
that will help keep keep the organizations carry them through this because Great. it's very hard because like we will do videos and stuff online but it's very hard to monetize that yeah yeah and it's in the production costs are very high yeah and so it's it's tough it's it's uh it's yeah it's very tough so if you have the means i would encourage you to you know if this is something you're passionate about reach out to organizations and san francisco symphony and many others around the country who you know could maybe benefit from it um it, to just kind of wrap up on a little bit happier note. Yeah. <laughs> patricia's asking do you have any other favorite musical instruments besides the bass oh man you said you had played that, a, a few so oh, go ahead no, i was I'm just sorry, gonna say you... i was just gonna say you you said you had played a few before you sort of discovered the bass yeah. so i'm curious i mean there's there's so many wonderful voices out there you know the human voice is one of my favorite musical instruments honestly you know a great singer is just it's one of the most powerful instruments out there um and most ancient right really it's kind of our first instrument perhaps um i've always loved the bass clarinet it's just like you know <laughs> you know marcus miller the great bass player who is also a killer bass clarinet player yeah, he was he was uh, he's played with everybody from Miles Davis to David Santenborn. He's got his own thing. But man, when he gets that bass clarinet, out, it just it's just so funky, man. It's just it's just awesome. And and, and even if you ever listen to Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, there's like these little snippets of things he does with the bass clarinet. It's just like, damn, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that instrument. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of instruments that I love. I guess it's how it's used is counts that's great well i really thank you for your time there's you know endless comments in the chat that you know are saying i don't think there's any metallica fan who heard your solo who disliked it everybody was deeply moved by it from a performance standpoint and for what it stood for to metallica fans with cliff burden and um, as many people have said you know you're you're forever a part of metallica history now uh that's Um, that's like going back to where we started and talking about you know when i first got turned on to metallica and i'm like this 15 year old punk trying to figure out how to play the bass (laughs) uh you know it it, it's it's hard to even fathom that yeah someone else uh, uh maybe it was the the Merp, the muddle up your podcast guys, or one of is someone they were like, man, you are forever part of Metallica lore. You're like the honorary fourth bass player yeah. or something like that. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? Are you serious? You know? Yeah. So that's it's really it's pretty wild. It's a, and it's a huge honor. I mean, I, how awesome is that? You know, it's a it's a beautiful thing. And you know, and and uh, you know, I was saying before, you know, I was hanging out with different people backstage, and you know. And I mentioned that Ray Brown was, I'm sorry, Ray Burton was one of the um, most important parts of it. But, you know, there was also some fans that there was one fan that I think she had come all the way from Scotland or England or something. And she came up to me. She had tears just streaming down her face. And she's like, "I can I please hug you? And she was, thank you so much. You have no idea what you did for me tonight. And that really stuck out. I don't know who she is. Maybe she's even listening tonight. I don't know. But that really was a very very powerful for me just seeing her reaction and and just like yeah to know that you were able to do something like that for another human being was just it's just so beautiful that's that 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 also was a very powerful 
moment. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that um, it was so meaningful for many people. And, and um, yeah, I'm just grateful. Is there anything that before we wrap up here that you would like to plug? Where can people find you on social media? If you want people to find you on social media. Yeah, I know. I know. So it's so terrible. About, yeah, I mean, you can follow me on Instagram, but please don't be disappointed. I don't do a lot with it, but I, I do. You know, like I got, I, there's some, you know, pictures up there. I go scuba diving or something and I'll throw some pictures up there. But um, uh, although I did just, I just, maybe I should put this video up. A, a buddy of mine uh, who uh, I, I, I made a, he asked me to, or a friend of his asked me to do a happy birthday video for him. And I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get my electric upright out and I'm going to improvise a, a happy birthday. Maybe I'll put that up there. That was, that was kind of fun. <laughs> I'm wearing this shirt, my Metallica shirt. I did basically a, a sort of a, a metal version of happy birthday. Just, I improvised it. I just turned it on and just did it. Nice. Um, and uh, I don't know, but so I, don't, I am on Instagram, but you know, I, I'm not I... all that active. I follow you on Instagram and I think I saw a picture of um, a liquor cabinet. That's a yeah. upright base. <laughs> it's hilarious. So I'm, I'm, I'm really into, um, uh, you know, I'm just fascinated by the construction of instruments. And I forget, I was, I was looking for an example of a particular maker uh, of an instrument, uh, like an, an old Italian instrument. And I don't know, somehow that picture just popped up on the internet and I was like, what the, that is the coolest thing ever. So I had to copy that and post it. You know, it's just like this. Yeah, this this liquor cabinet based liquor cabinet. It's hysterical. I loved that when I saw that picture. It's so good. <laughs> Especially you know when you're in lockdown and quarantine at the, you know I think everybody, uh, especially at least at the beginning, had a few too many spirits. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I did actually. I went the other way. Like I didn't have a. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big drinker anyway, but like, yeah. I don't think I, I consumed anything for like two months. Like, God bless it, you. Like, <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. I, I went the other way. I was like, I'm already, I'm so depressed. That's the last thing I need, man, is to get further well, down. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. please follow Scott Pingle on Instagram. Is it just, I, I just follow Scott by dot Pingle. just yeah. Scott.pingle. Um, Please follow me on social media at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find Metallicast anywhere you find all your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, everywhere. Please download, subscribe. If you can leave a positive five-star review, it'd be much appreciated. And and please make sure to check out MetalTalk.net. Um, this was a big week for us with SNM2. I did my Metal Talk TV interview with Edwin Outwater. Um, like I mentioned before, I got an early stream, so I was able to write, uh, my review of SNM2, my first written album review. So that was, um, a, a great, uh, experience for me. Um, and if you tuned in late and missed part of this conversation, this video will stay up on Facebook and YouTube and the audio will be out as, uh, a podcast on the Metallicast feed within the next 24 hours. Scott, you were so gracious with your time. I just really appreciate oh, you coming on. It's really fun. I'm glad that you came. You're welcome to on Metallicast anytime uh, you want to talk bass, sure, man. Metallica, I'm metal, happy to come music. Back. You guys are it's really whatever. fun. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so please follow us on social media. Scott yeah. Pingle on Instagram and, and uh, the social media. <laughs> and if for some reason you have not picked up your copy of S and M two yet, uh, do so. I'm telling you. 
the it, it sounds great if you have the film it looks great i mean i'm definitely a biased metallica fan but i i actually think i'm leaning more towards snm2 over snm which to me is a a, a classic live record so that says a lot so wow. thank you thank you so much scott i really yeah, appreciated this thank you until next time ladies and gentlemen middle be yeah fans not experts